you have your Bibles, would you look with me please this morning to Luke chapter number 5. Luke chapter number 5. Again, we thank you for being here, especially our visitors. And uh, tempted to go to the door, I won't, for the sake of shaking hands after being sick last week. But uh, one of the things I do miss about being out in the fellowship song and even prior to worship services, shaking hands as people come through the door and especially the hands of our visitors. Thank you for being here today. May God bless you for coming and being a part of our service here at Charity Baptist Church. Luke chapter number five, as you find your place in verse one, would you stand with us please if you can? And if you will, we'll honor the word of God by standing for the reading of today's text that we'll be preaching from. The Bible says, and it came to pass that as the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God, he stood by the lake of Gennesaret and saw two ships standing by the lake, but the fishermen were gone out of them and were washing their nets. And he entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's, and prayed him that he would thrust out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people out of the ship. Now when he had left speaking, he said unto Simon, Launch out into the deep and let your nets, let down your nets, excuse me, for a drought. And Simon answering said unto him, Master, we have toiled all the night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. And when they had this done, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes and their net break. And they beckoned unto their partners, which were in the other ship, that they should come and help them. And they came and filled both the ships, so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he was astonished, and all that were with him, at the drought of the fishes which they had taken. And so was also James and John, the sons of Zebedee, which were partners with Simon, Jesus said unto Simon, Fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. And when they had brought their ships to land, they forsook all and followed him. I'm interested in Peter's encounter, his fishing encounter with Christ. Now, I'm not going to try to preach uh, under all three headings that uh, we have for this particular passage. I'll probably only cover the first today. But this particular experience will change the course of Simon Peter's life. Um, he'll go back to fishing on another occasion after the resurrection. There'll be some ups and downs yet to come. But Simon's going to serve God. You'd have thought after this catch as a fisherman, a commercial fisherman, there would have been a print-up on the front page of the local newspaper. and They would have said, this is what we've dreamed of as fishermen but they walk away from everything. As a matter of fact, all four of them walk away from everything for Christ and the cause of Christ. What a blessing. Hadn't Brother Ronnie Owen been a blessing to our church as of late? had no idea I'd miss the times I've missed as of late, but I've called on him at the last minute. He's been willing to just step in. Had a word. Uh, knows what it is to be instant, in season, out of season. Brother Ronnie, would you lead us in prayer, please?
Oh, Lord. Yes, Lord. Oh, Lord. Amen. Thank you for standing. Peter's fishing encounter with Christ. I want to give three emphasis out of this particular passage of Scripture. I'm interested today in the providential workings of Christ and the life of Simon Peter. Secondly, the particular testings of Simon in this fishing scene, this fishing experience. And then thirdly, the personal realizations for Simon Peter in this fishing encounter with Christ. And we'll touch on that, at least that one, next week. It's interesting in the text, the Lord said nothing about sin. Yet in verse number 8, we find Peter is falling at Christ's knees, confessing himself to be a sinful man. Peter has encountered Christ before this passage, of course, is apparent to us all. You remember in John chapter number 1, verses 40, 41, and 42, you will remember that the day after Christ was baptized, Andrew uh, introduced Peter to the Lord or the Lord to Peter. And in that passage, of course, Jesus said something to Simon that day. He said, I know who you are. I know your family. I know exactly who you are. Thou art Simon, the son of Jonah. He said, I know you, Simon. Have you ever felt like, uh, or I can remember, let me state it this way, many years ago prior to knowing much of anything at all about the Lord, I knew there was more than a preacher that was talking to me when I sat in a pew. The Lord just zeroed in on me. Kind of felt like, often kind of felt like the little boy that went to the pastor after a service and asked him why he preached to just him. And I felt that way a few times through the years. As Simon is introduced to the Lord, he says, I know you. I know who you are. You're impulsive. You're headstrong. Um, you're rather up and down. And, and, and uh, he probably could have said to him, he, well, he could have said to him, Simon, uh, you know what your greatest problem is, and it is Simon. And Simon, I know that better than you, and I'm going to help you with that over the coming time, over the coming years. Simon could soar to great heights and sink to great lows, couldn't he? He confessed Christ at Caesarea Philippi, and yet uh, he would deny him publicly just outside of Pilate's hall. At one time, he's ready to fight to the death for Christ in just a few short uh, just a little bit of time later, he denies uh, the Lord, and then, of course, we find him following the Lord afar off. We've said through the years about Simon Peter that consistency 
or, or consistently, he seemed to have a problem with inconsistency. Jesus said to him that day, he said, Simon, I know who you are. And he said, Simon, I know who and what I'm going to make you to become. He said in John 1, 42, thou art Simon, the son of Jonah. Thou shalt be called Cephas, which is by interpretation a stone. Christ changes his name that day from Simon, which again speaks of his being impulsive. He had a bit of trouble with his mouth. He had a number of issues in his life that he seemed a bit immature about. But he said, uh, he said, thou shalt be called Cephas, which means a rock. As a matter of fact, the Lord told him that. He said, Cephas, which is by interpretation a stone, speaks of firmness and stability, speaks of consistency and dependability. He changed his name, and he's in the process of changing his nature, as he does with each and every one of us. J.C. Ryle said about the name change and the nature change of Simon Peter, said the changing of his name signifies the change grace is to work in Simon's life. Simon's deficient. He's lacking like many of us. As a matter of fact, until we get to glory, we'll fail the Lord over and again. Uh, We won't mean to do so, but we again are lacking in understanding. We're lacking in uh, areas where we wish that we were not. There was you, there was the follow me call. You remember the four Peter, Andrew, James, and John would receive in Matthew chapter four and verse number 19, where the Lord said unto them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. There are at least some 16 follow me calls. It's found in the gospel or the gospels, excuse me. Christ called to follow me still goes forth today. As a matter of fact, the one that I uh, readily go to, and I think of Christ saying, follow me, is found in Matthew 16, 24, where the Bible said, then, uh, then said Jesus unto his disciples, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And of course, we've already labored it, so I won't labor it. But Christ's follow me call still goes forth today in salvation. If you know not Christ and you're here today, I bid you come to him and trust him. Repent of your sins and turn to him. Believe the gospel. Uh, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved in thine house. There's the call to follow Christ in sanctification. You've heard me state this through the years over and again. But sanctification is a lifelong calling for the child of God. It's a lifelong process where the Holy Spirit takes his word takes the truth of his word and shapes our lives and molds our lives so that the end result is that we would be fashioned more like to the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ himself. There's the call today of Christ to follow him in service and in faithfulness. As we've stated before, it's the only thing. It makes sense, right? After all that he has done for us. As a matter of fact, we'll be singing with the hymnists today. That count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your many blessings, see what God hath done. A couple of weeks back, while still preaching on the healing of Simon Peter's mother-in-law, you remember, and I quote again, McLaren, the old Scottish preacher, that said of Simon Peter's mother-in-law, who was deathly sick, Christ took her by the hand off of her sickbed, and immediately she's healed. Immediately. There's no occupational therapy, there's... There, there are no injections that are needed. There are no weights to be lifted. There's no 
miles to be walked. She immediately stands and then she ministers to everybody in the household. The old Scottish preacher had this to say. Said she arose. Yes, of course she did. When Christ grasped her, how could she help it? And she ministered to them. How could she help that either? If she had any thankfulness in her heart, I suppose she got the cane helpets that day. I've had the cane helpets for over 30 years myself after all the Lord has done for me. The least we can do for him is to be faithful. I used to pastor a man that's in heaven now. You say that often. I used to walk out after the preaching service on a Sunday morning, Sunday night, or a Wednesday night. If I were to touch upon faithfulness, just being faithful unto the Lord, whether it be to his services or in your walk, your personal walk, he would say, preacher, after all the Lord's done for me, the least I can do for him is to be faithful. I was reading the old Puritan, Thomas Watson. I think he's the easiest read of all the Puritans. I love his work. Thomas Watson said that God should adopt us when he had a son of his own, the Lord Jesus. Here is the wonder of love. We needed a father, but he did not need a son. And yet through his son, we have become sons. We have uh, become children of, uh, of our Lord. And we rejoice in that. There's been a lot of time, a lot of events have occurred between Christ's uh, follow me call to the fore. And Peter's fishing encounter, encounter with Christ is now here before us. He would find the four there washing their nets after a long night of fishing. Verse number one says, in the lake of Gennesaret, I was privileged to preach there. We went to the Holy Land some few years back. And I preached on the, the episode when, when Peter walked on the water. He was able to preach there on that particular sea, on that particular, uh, on that particular, uh, that particular lake. As a matter of fact, we, we stayed in the hotel just on one side of it and looked across on the other side where the old Gadarean demoniac was healed by Christ there on that hillside. This lake has great significance throughout the Word of God. This particular occasion, Simon Peter will encounter Christ in such a way that will set his course up for life. Uh, this event changes him. He's already saved, for sure he is. But from this point on, it's, it's a forward march. It's heaven in his sights. It's serving Christ and making him known. It's preaching the word of God. It's standing before others. It's traveling and doing everything he can to make Christ known. That is the occupation of a preacher, is it not? To make Jesus Christ known unto others and to declare the word of God and give a text a voice. It is the business of a preacher to do that. There are a lot of people that try to sensationalize the life of Simon Peter. And certainly he is a colorful character uh, to say the least. They'll go to his denials and make it into something that a lot of times I think we miss parts of it. This was one of the hardest nights of Simon Peter's life when he would say, I don't know him. I don't know. I haven't run with them. I don't know anything about what you're talking about. Three times he denied the Lord. He went out, the Bible says, and he wept bitterly. Can you imagine being willing to give your life in the Garden of Gethsemane when you would draw a sword and smite a soldier? And yet just a short time later, there you are outside Pilate's Hall, denying publicly the Lord that, uh, that would die for your sin. And then, uh, of course, later on in his life, we learn in Galatians chapter number two that, that Paul would stand before Peter and, 
The Bible says he withstood him to the face. Peter's behavior was very unbecoming, and there are those that sensationalize it as though there was some grand battle that went on. That's not what happened. Paul rebuked Peter. Peter never answered back. As a matter of fact, he took it and he conformed. And as far as we know, he got that right. He was willing to take instruction and to take a correction. In this passage, when you move on with Simon Peter, again, there will be highs and lows. But in this particular passage, Simon realizes his inadequacy of himself, of self. He is inadequate, and he realizes that. As a matter of fact, even when he obeys Christ, on one of Christ's requests here in the passage, he does so reluctantly. He said, we've told all the night. We fishermen, we fish at night. Lord, you're a carpenter. You're a master craftsman. I'm a fisherman. I know this lake like the back of my hand. We fish at night. We don't fish in the daytime. That's why we're washing our nets. Because we fish at night. It's daytime. We're, we're mending and, and, and working our nets to ready ourselves for the night. He said, nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net, one net. He said, you want all of them, but just to prove my point. I will let down the net. Jim's not here this morning, but I've heard him say it through the years. It's amazing how little effort when God calls you to something. It's amazing how little effort we put forth and God blesses. Isn't that amazing? I think about John chapter 15 and verse number 5 where Jesus said, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. Then he said, for without me you can do nothing. He didn't say, without me, you can do a few things and get by and skim by and in the end be all right. But he said, without me, you can do no thing, not one thing without me. As a matter of fact, we, uh, we can't even get up in the morning without his touch on our lives. Uh, Simon will learn in this passage his own inadequacy. He also will learn of Christ's sufficiency. How many of us have leaned on the verses out of Philippians chapter number four through the years in a trying time? You remember what Paul wrote about? He wrote about those times when he had nothing and then those times when things seemed to be abounding in his life and the blessings were overflowing. He wrote about both experiences. The Philippian church, they had sent to his necessity once and again. As a matter of fact, in Philippians chapter number four, pick up with verse number 10 and read down through the end of the chapter and you'll find that that church gave. As a matter of fact, in 2 Corinthians chapters eight and nine, he wanted them not to give because he knew they were doing so out of their necessity. And they basically said to him, don't cheat us out of the blessing. Uh, we want to give. Isn't it amazing? Givers uh, always find something to give. Uh, they always find some way to help the cause of Christ. And Paul was writing to them about the sufficiency of Christ in their missions giving and how he trusted that Christ would do for them what he had done for him. And just a few of those verses, Philippians 4, 11 to 13, he said, not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. He said, I know how both how to be abased and I know how to abound everywhere and in all things. I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both uh, uh, to abound and to suffer need. He said, I can do either one of it. He said, I can go and be hungry and survive, and I can go to the full and survive. This is what he said. He said, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. And Peter's beginning to learn in this text that he can do all things through Christ. He can do nothing on his own. 
He spent all night fishing and toiling, and he has nothing to show for it. And yet the Lord's going to tell him, let down the nets. He'll only let down one, and there's more than he's ever called in one in one casting of a net. He's learned that very quickly that he can do nothing without Christ, and yet through Christ he can do all things. It's that way in my life and that way in your life as well, you know, dear heart. Uh, there's nothing that we can do. Have you ever set out on your own and made a mess of it? Have you ever jumped ahead of God and made a mess of things? Have you ever procrastinated on God and and uh, and things just didn't work the way they were supposed to work? But then have you stepped right into the furnace with the Lord only to find that he was there before you got there and ministered to you the whole time while you were, while you were there? Consider with me verses 1, 2, and 3, the providential workings of Christ in Simon's life. You'll note with me in verse number 1, an inconvenient, excuse me, an inconvenient situation. Verse number 1 says, And it came to pass that as the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God, he stood by the lake of Gennesaret. This inconvenience, it's an inconvenience for the people. It's not an inconvenience for the Lord. Our Lord never has been inconvenienced. Our Lord is, if you go through the Gospels, you'll find him never getting in a hurry, and yet he never shows up anywhere late. I know there's a song that says when he's four days late, he's right on time, but he's never been late. He's always been right on time. So he's not inconvenienced here. It's the people they're trying to get to him. They want him to preach the word of God, and they can't all get to him. They cannot all see to him. He's pushed up against the shoreline, if you will, where the water and the shore, where where it gathers together. And again, verse number one says, And it came to pass that as the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God, he stood by the lake of Gennesaret, If you look at the two last verses of the previous chapter, it's where we were for three messages, you remember, when his ministry in Capernaum would continue. Verses 43 and 44 of the previous chapter says, And he said unto them, I must preach the kingdom of God to other cities also, for therefore am I sent. And he preached in the synagogues of Galilee. At this time, when you come to chapter number 5, he's still preaching in Galilee. He's preaching the word of God. He's teaching the word of God. He's healing multitudes. He's casting out unclean spirits. That is, he's casting out devils that possessed uh, people and resided in the lives of these people. This resulted in large crowds uh, gathering into him and flocking about him. They're interested in him, and now they're following him. Luke records here in verse number 1, this event taking place at the lake of Gennesaret. Uh, we know it more familiarly probably by the name of the Sea of Galilee. The Old Testament calls it Chinnereth. Of course, John calls it the Sea of Tiberias. In John chapter number 6 and John chapter number 21, they are all in the same. Uh, the Sea of Galilee or the Lake of Gennesaret, Chinnereth, or the Sea of Tiberias is actually a fresh water lake. It is 13 miles wide and 7 miles long. It's a feature in that particular region. Fishing takes place. Recreation takes place. Gathering takes place uh, right here around this particular lake or this particular sea. It's fed by the Jordan River, which finds its source at the base of Mount Hermon. Uh, Once the sea, uh, or, or excuse me, once the River Jordan leaves the Sea of Galilee or the Lake of Gennesaret, 
It then makes its way. Of course, it's gains, gained momentum and gained, gained waters by the time it exits the lake of Gennesaret. And it makes its way down, uh, down to the Dead Sea. As a matter of fact, from the source of the Jordan, the farther you get away from it, the muddier the Jordan becomes. We paid attention to that and we were in the Holy Land. I was told to look forward. And of course, I watched it every time we'd pass a bridge and someone would say, this is the Jordan River. It starts out, you would think it's just a clear mountain stream at the base of Mount Hermon. By the time it makes its way down to the Sea of Tiberias, it's muddied a little bit, but for sure, when it comes out the other end of that sea, it is muddy. It is the muddy Jordan. Did you know the further you get away from the Word of God, the muddier your life will become? The further you get away from the Lord, the muddier your life will become. The more you, you get away from the things of God, so it will be with your life. It's amazing what God does and the clarity He can bring to a life that is willing to follow Him. This, there's an elapsing of time noted in the text. Notice the verse that states, and it came to pass. In other words, after the previously recorded events, after Christ has ministered in Capernaum and then in the cities round about, after an elapsing of time, after a bit of time, at the very most, it probably was not any more than a few weeks has passed since he's preached in Capernaum, since he's healed Simon's mother-in-law, since there were those that were brought to the front door of Simon's house that evening to be healed. And then the next morning he would get up and, and he would go to a quiet place and pray and then begin to make his travels. It's been, there's been an elapsing of time since all of that has taken place. It's just like Luke to record this, this way in it. I mean, he sets things in order, just like he told us would. He would in the greeting to the book of Luke. There's not only the elapsing of time, there's the pressing upon Christ by the people. Verse number one says, the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God. They press upon him here on the shoreline of the lake of Gennesaret. The people want to hear Christ's words. What a blessed thing that someone would want to hear the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. No one ever had words like Christ's words. No one ever spake like this man spake, the Lord Jesus Christ. You'll notice in verses 2 and 3, there's the standing of the two ships and Christ entering into one of the ships, verses 2 and 3, and saw two ships standing by the lake, but the fishermen were gone out of them and were washing their nets. And he entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's, and prayed him, that he would thrust out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people out of the ship, the standing of the two ships, his entering into one of those ships, and then his pushing away from the shoreline just a bit. An inconvenient situation. Christ has the solution, but he always has the solution, does he not? The answer for this inconvenient situation, he enters into Simon's ship and pushes out just a little bit. Now all eyes can focus on him. All ears can be attentive unto him. He can minister to every one of them. They can see him. He can see them. And so he has a solution to the problem. John Phillips said about this particular area where Jesus was, he said it was like a, like a natural amphitheater in nature that you can find. And certainly it is. This is what he said. He said the acoustical properties of this area are remarkable. The still water acts as a sounding board or loudspeaker. 
It picks up the speaker's voice and throws it up the beach and hillside. The Lord didn't have to raise his voice to be heard by one and all. Christ has the answer. As a matter of fact, Christ is the answer. He's always the answer. If there are needs in your marriage, he is the answer. And he has the answer. If there's a need in your young life and you need to make choices for direction for your life, he is your answer. And he has your answer. If you want to build a life that is honoring to God, he is your answer. You say, preacher, it's too late in life. It's never too late to come to Christ. It's never too late to start serving Christ. He is the answer. We all ought to stop and take recess, every one of us, and stand and say glory to God. He is uh, the answer that uh, we always need. An inconvenient situation. He finds the solution. Let me say a word, if I may, about the importance of the word of God. In verse number one, in verse number five, uh, the word of God and Christ's word, there's an emphasis given You notice in verse number one, the Bible says, and it came to pass that as the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God, he stood by the lake of Gennesaret. They stand, they want to hear, they press upon him, they want to hear the word of God. There's an emphasis given to the word of God. And then in verse number five, and Simon answering said unto him, Master, we have toiled all the night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net, the importance of the word of God. I couldn't help but think about in my study leading into this message, Psalm 19 in verse number seven, which says the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The word of God is perfect. The psalmist wrote, converting the soul. You know, you've never read that about any history book. Somebody was studying American history and realized they were lost without Christ and cast themselves upon his mercy. Uh, you've never heard anybody sit down working um, uh, working uh, some uh, trig problem out and trying to calculate and saying, ah, well, uh, looking at the problem in our printed textbook, I've realized I'm lost without God, and I need to be born again. But now there are testimony after testimony scattered around this globe that we know to be the earth where somebody was going to take a gun to themselves and try to try to send themselves into eternity prematurely, went to a hotel room somewhere and rented the room for the night, reached over into the nightstand, and there was a get-in Bible. And then they began to read, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. As a matter of fact, I used to preach it like this. If you're lost and you just got it, you got your mind made up, you want to stay lost, there's a few things you better avoid. You better stay away from a Bible like this because the Bible will tell you of your sinfulness and Christ's righteousness, how you've got to be as good as God to get to God's heaven and none of us qualify outside of Christ. He's made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we should be made the righteousness of God in him. And we rejoice in that. You ought to stay away from singing like we heard this morning. If you're lost and you've just decided that's the way I want to live and that's the way I want to die, lost without God, without hope in this world, you'll stay away from singing that exalts Christ and honors the Lord Jesus Christ and what he means to the believer. You ought to stay away from preaching like this. The Bible still says that it pleased God by the, by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. As a matter of fact, you ought to stay away from a place like this. 
You'll fool around the Holy Ghost to show up one morning and rest your soul, convict you of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. Won't convict you because you smoke, chew, or pout. Won't convict you because of that, but will convict you because you don't know, because you don't know the Lord Jesus in the free pardon of sin. And before you know it, you'll find yourself bowing before Christ, seeking His salvation. As a matter of fact, the Bible says again, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. Um, the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Sometimes people will say, well, you know, uh, we'll read a passage of Scripture and say, you know, these words are in red, as, as though they mean more than the rest of them. But I will tell you, every bit of the Bible is the Word of God. From Genesis 1-1 to the Amen at the end of Revelation, it's all important. As a matter of fact, I'm sure I've got, I've probably got 25 Bibles or so at home. I'm sure I've probably got a red letter edition or two. But uh, ever since about 93, 94, I kept hearing people say, well, you know, these words are in red as though the ones in black didn't matter. I begin to ask older preachers, can I find a Bible? Is it possible to buy a Bible that is not a red letter edition? And I guess since the mid nineties, I've, I've carried one that's not a red letter edition. All of the word of God is perfect. All of it is needful. All of it is necessary, friend. Even in the first few verses of the Bible, you can find the picture of the gospel, how that God created the heaven and the earth, and how that darkness was upon the earth, and how the Holy Spirit, is, as he began to brood across the darkness and chaos, he brought about order and design. Is that not a picture of the gospel itself? As a matter of fact, in the same first book of the Bible, there's a picture of the gospel over and again. Genesis 1-1 begins, in the beginning God created, that's generation. Genesis 3-1 begins, now the serpent, that's degeneration. And then at Genesis 12 and 1 says, now the Lord, that's regeneration. If all we had was the first book of the Bible, we'd have enough. If all we had was the second book of the Bible, we'd have enough. If all we had was the book of Leviticus, we'd have enough. If all we had was Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament canon, we'd have enough. If all we had was one book, if all we had was that first verse of the of our Bible, we'd have enough. We'd have enough to get us by, would we not? Did you know the whole Bible rests upon the first phrase of the Bible? In the beginning, God. Do you know all the canon of Scripture, Old and New Testament Scripture? Do you know all of the canon of Scripture is built upon and rests upon that statement? In the beginning, God, you've heard me say this before, but it's worth saying while I'm right here. There are those that would say that the Bible begins with creation. It doesn't do any such of a thing. It begins with God. All things begin with God. In the beginning, God. Did you know that that phrase, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth? You ought to turn over to, to that verse in your Bible and write out beside it all else, I believe. I don't understand it all, but I believe every bit of it. As a matter of fact, I'm not going to question that. I'm not going to question the Word of God. I may inquire as to what's going on in context. I may try and seek to understand something I don't understand. But I'm telling you, it is the Word of God. It is the completed canon of Scripture. God gave it in revelation. Holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Uh, Oh, Dr. J. Harold Smith, when he was pastoring Fort, Fort Smith, Arkansas, so long ago, a man in the church contacted him during the Christmas holidays. His son had been off to college. They said, can I bring my son? Meet you in the office. Are you in the office? He said, bring him home. And they got there. 
He asked the gentleman, he said, what's, what's going on? He said, well, my boy's gone off to college. And said, now he's put question marks over the Bible. He don't know whether or not the Bible is the word of God. He said, I want you to talk to him. And the, and the college student said, oh, dad, I don't want to talk to Dr. Smith. He, he literally believes that God wiggled the fingers of the writers. And he said, son, I've never heard it put like that, but that's just nearly what I do believe. We do believe in the verbal plenary inspiration of the word of God. God allowed Paul to express himself. He allowed John to express himself. And he kept it within the confines of revelation. A revelation is an unveiling. You'd have never found God out had God not revealed himself. There's no way we could, there's no way we could climb a ladder and find him out. There's no way we could have hidden out and, and, uh, and spied on him and, and learned of him. God's been gracious in giving us a Bible. It is still the world's bestseller. And yet it's read so very little. God left us one book. We know so little about it. As a matter of fact, there are those that will flock to a show today and something that will call itself Baptist or Methodist. And I'm not throwing off on Baptist or Methodist, but they've been sold a bill of goods that entertainment is the way. They moved from what used to be called old-time religion, preaching, praying, shouting, and singing, and testifying. They moved from old-time down to showtime religion. In other words, instead of people saying, preacher, tell me something, they're saying, preacher, show me something. There's a vast difference in that. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. You ought to write it out there beside Genesis 1-1. All else to follow, I believe. You say, preacher, I don't believe it. Doesn't change it. Doesn't change a cotton-picking thing. It's still the word of God. Amen. In the beginning, God denies atheism with its doctrines of no God. In the beginning, God denies polytheism with its doctrines of a plurality of gods. In the beginning, God created, denies fatalism with its doctrine of chance. In the beginning, God created, denies evolution with its happenings and growings and becomings. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, denies pantheism, which tries to make the universe God. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, denies materialism, which says that matter is eternal. That's part of our problem in the United States of America. Part of the reason why we think God's got to come back to our generation. I hope he does, and I'm looking for him. But we are so spoiled in the States. We have everything at our fingertips, and if we don't have it, we think we're due it. And I'm going to tell you, God may let some of this get rough around here in this country before he comes to pull his bride out of this walk of life. Without Genesis, man will exalt chance as his creator and beast as his ancestor. Um. W.A. Criswell, Adrian Rogers picked up on something W.A. Criswell used to say at it First Baptist Dallas regarding evolution and the foolishness of it all. Criswell used to say, I, uh, once, uh, uh, once I was a tadpole with my tail long and thin. Then I was a bullfrog with my tail tucked in. And then I was a monkey swinging from tree to tree. And now I'm a college professor with a PhD. That's pretty foolish, isn't it? If you believe in evolution, get your five-gallon bucket of red dirt this afternoon. Set it on your front doorstep. Look at it morning, noon, and night. It ain't changing, honey. It's still dirt. That's all it is. And when God, uh, when God created the different species, over and again, the Bible says he did it after his kind. After his kind. After his kind. He did it after his kind. That kind begets kind. That's what he's saying. He said, I've set it in order and I'm in charge of the order. 
And this is the way I've set it up. But without the book of Genesis, man will exalt beasts as being his ancestors or fallen humanity as the height of natural evolution. You know what bothers me? I enjoy hunting. I don't, I don't have many hobbies, but I do enjoy deer hunting a little bit. And, uh, I enjoy more, more than that. I enjoy the, uh, the summer sausage and tenderloin. Somebody say amen right there. And biscuits and gravy and scrambled eggs are, are over medium or something like that. And, and a good cup of hot coffee. Somebody ought to be shouting right about now. But you know what bothers me? I watch the hunting channels, the outdoor channels sometimes. You know what bothers me on some of these programs? When a man would take a turkey or take a deer, some other animal that he's traveled to go and bag and, 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 uh, and to try to harvest, he'll get down and worship the deer. He'll get down and thank the deer. Or he'll get down and hug a tree or do something. I won't tell you who you ought to be thanking. You ought to be thanking the God of heaven. Everything is to be received if it's to be received with thanksgiving. Thank the God who made the deer. Thank the God who created the galaxies. Thank the God that's got his eye on you, uh, dear heart. If Genesis goes, our divine creator goes. If Genesis goes, then our bloodstained redeemer goes. If Genesis goes, then our divinely inspired Bible will go as well. In Genesis, over and again, we find man's failures But in spite of man's failures in the book of Genesis, over and again, we also find God's faithfulness. Where would we be without God today, dear heart? Child of God, where would we be without God? I remember Bobby Boltwright saying to myself and another old boy back in 1984, December the 1st of 1984 at the Pontotoc Courthouse. I remember he said, boys, if y'all don't slow down, something doesn't change in your life. One of two things, I'll give you six months, both of you. One of two things is going to happen. Either your family's going to bury you or you'll wind up in Parchment Penitentiary. I'm, I didn't go to Parchment Penitentiary, and I'm still living today. As a matter of fact, Brother Chris read a couple of verses out of Psalm 118 that God stamped on my heart when I was uh, when I was so weak back in 07, and he made it live. I didn't say anything to anybody other than my wife. I've never even uttered that before. I'm telling you, God has done a work in my life. I marvel over what he's done and what he continues to do for me at times. As a matter of fact, every child of God ought to have a sense of awe about them. When you look around, you ought to be so God conscious of what God's doing in your life. I'm going to say it again. Get ready for it or you can say it for me. God owes us nothing. And yet his kindnesses abound in our lives. I'm telling you, God has been good to every last one of us, every last one of us. Do you know what I just said about the book of Genesis can be said about the book of Exodus? As a matter of fact, I had something to say about Genesis 1-1, it's perfect. Did you know that Exodus 1-1 is perfect? And, uh, and Leviticus 1-1 is perfect. And Numbers 1-1, it'll do. And so will the book of Deuteronomy and every book, all 66 books that make up the word of God. Two times in the text I just read to you. Two times in today's text, the word is emphasized. You notice again in verse 1, the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God. They pressed upon him. That is, they lean into him. They crowd him. That's what they're doing. They're insisting on a word from the word. Did you know in our Bibles, we find everything we need for life? Uh, We find everything. It's not a cure for diabetes. It's not a cure for the economy and inflation rates and and high interest rates at the bank, it's not a, it's not a cure all for all that, but whatever you need in life, dear heart, you'll find that the word of God has the answer for you. 
A lot of people don't treasure the Word of God because they don't know what it could mean to their lives. Robert Burdett, many years ago, he was asked what his favorite text in the Bible was. He sat down and thinking about it, and he said, he, he wrote, when I think of my favorite text, half dozen leap from the Scriptures. On a stormy day, I want a cloak. On cold days, I want the sunny side of the wall. He said, on hot days, I want a shady path. Some days, I need a shower of manna. Some days, I want a drink of cool living water. Some days, I need an arbor to rest in. Some days, it's a pilgrim's staff I need. Sometimes, a sword for the battle. What Burdett was saying was, the Word of God is, uh, is adequate to meet your need. Isn't it amazing? I think I already touched on this. But the reason why we gather today to to preach truth and teach it in Sunday school and have Brother Chris do the scripture reading and the open assembly as we open up. The reason why we do that is because the more you get a hold of truth, the more truth will get a hold of you. And truth will begin to change your life and form your life. Someone else has written, if thou art merry, here are heirs. If melancholy, here are prayers. If studious, here is holy writ. If hungry, there is food divine. If thirsty, nectar, heavenly wine. The people pressed upon him to hear the word of God. And then again, verse number five. Verse number five says, And Simon answering said unto him, Master, we have toiled all the night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. You know, we don't do what we do because life feels good or life is good. Sometimes you, sometimes you'll hear a little testimony of somebody that feel like God let them down somewhere. They'll get mad and, and grab their toys and run off and as though they're trying to leave and flee from the presence of God. Jonah rose up to flee from the presence of the Lord. Cain tried to flee from the presence of the Lord. There are those in scripture try to, you know what, you know what it means to try to flee? You cannot flee the presence of God. He is omnipresent. He is everywhere present. The psalmist said, if I descend into hell, thou art there. He said, if I send up into heaven, you're there. No matter where I go, there you are. But I tell you what someone will do when they get crossways with God. They'll forsake the church. They'll put their Bible down, quit reading it. They'll quit going to prayer. They'll lose a thankful heart. And there's a price to pay for that, of course. We don't do what we do because it feels good all the time. I've thought about it a lot of times over the last couple of three years, praying for Ray and Mary Owen all they've been through. What is it that's kept them in the fight? Well, it's been the God that lives within them, the God they trust, the Lord they trust. What keeps them going with a brother that's battling cancer and a granddaughter? It's recently been diagnosed with the same diagnosis, the grandson that's now in eternity with God has. I tell you, it's that hope that's found in Christ. It's that fire that gets shut up in a man's bosom that keeps them going. You brush the tears and you go on. That's why it's important we preach the word and we study the word of God. We do what we do because God said so. It's been some time, I think, since I've shared this, and I'll probably just stop with this, then we'll pick up later, but I'm thinking about it right now. It was late in the year. You hear me mention 2007 and 2008. I can tell you about things in 2009, 2010, but I don't want that to be the emphasis. I never will forget. Matter of fact, I was up early this morning and thought about it. I went back to my study last night when I come across this. When he said, nevertheless, at thy word, Simon did. He said, nevertheless, at thy word. 
He said, I'll let down the net. I remember I was on the parking lot at West Union School to pick up Matthew and Anna. It was late in 2007, way late. About all the year was gone. It was a Wednesday. I was sitting in the car waiting on them to get out of school. I called Brother Sable. And I said, Brother Don, and in his slow, methodical way, he began talking to me. He said, yes. I said, you know what I'm going through? You know more of what I'm going through than anybody else does. There were things went on that year. My wife was stalked. My life was threatened. You name it. It wasn't just what you might know. I mean, there were things, unusual things. We were just recently on a road where one of my daughter's cars was taken by a young man mentally handicapped. He got in it, got it crunk, got out in the field, got in the road, come back down the road. His mother was trying to flag him down, hits the gas pedal, gets, uh, goes across the railroad track in the Martintown community, gets airborne, lands caddy corner, of course, on the, one of the front fenders, threw him out through the windshield, card roll, rolled over. On, I'm telling you, it was bizarre things took place. And I was sitting there that Wednesday. And, and I said, Brother Don, he said, yes. I said, it's Wednesday. I teach on Wednesdays. I always have. And I don't know how you feel about things. I enjoy the Wednesday service. I understand it's more low-key. I enjoy the Wednesday service. I may enjoy Wednesday more than I do Sunday. Because you mean folk don't come on Wednesday. You know I'm picking at you. But I've always enjoyed teaching. I enjoy Bible Institute. My when Aaron and Anna, they, they came two years to the Bible Institute. Anna's the only female that's ever come through and earned a certificate through our Bible Institute. But when they came through, Anna, she came back and she said, Mama said, that's, that's where Daddy fits. That's, he's in his element right there. I've never seen that side of my daddy. It meant more to me than much of anything could, I guess. I said, Brother Don, it's Wednesday. I teach. It's on paper, but all it is is words on paper. I don't even want to go to church. I said, I ain't mad. I don't know how I feel about things, Brother Don. I said, it just continues to snowball. He and I both had hard years in 07. This is what he said. I'll never forget it. He said, preacher, it's a bad day. It's a bad day. He says, as a matter of fact, he said, I have preached for years and have sat in Bible conferences and heard preachers talk about quitting the ministry, and I have thought, what in the world are you talking about quitting the ministry? But he said, I have finally come to the place and been hurt bad enough now. He said, I told Sue this morning, I think I'm going to get my tools out, clean them up, go down to the building supply and put my name down for a contract. He said, preacher, it's a bad day. But he said, I'm going to start quoting a verse. And he said, when I stop, give me the next phrase. I said, if I can, he said, you can. This is what he said. Second Timothy 4 and verse number 2. He said, preach the word. Be instant in season. And he got quiet. And I stayed quiet. It about half upset me. He said, tell me, preacher. I said, you know what it says. He said, you say it. You need to say it. He said, say it. I said, I ain't going to say it. He said, I'm going to start it again when I stop you say the next phrase. He said, 2 Timothy 4, 2, preach the word, be instant in season. 
I said, it says out of season. He said, preacher, it's out of season right now. But he said, we're supposed to preach in season and out of season. Matter of fact, I can remember sitting down on that Wednesday night and that chemotherapy was sweating out of me. You know how you rid your body of chemotherapy? I won't be foul, but one of the ways is you sweat it out. And my nerves were so shot that sweat would drip off the ends of my fingers, not a finger off the ends of my fingers. You've heard me say this before. During that time, I thought Amanda would wake up next to a corpse any morning. Do you know what I did that night? Sweaty hands, done sweat my clothes through. I got up and did the best I could with it. I didn't do it because I felt good, because I didn't feel good. I did it because I was supposed to. And you know what God's done through the years? He has given grace. I found that there is a bomb in Gilead which sets the captive free. Now find my help in the Word of God. Every day there's a handful of scriptures. I know what people say. They say, you ought not pray the word of God back to God. I do. God answers. He enables. He gives strength. I was in Potts Camp, Mississippi. One night in a revival, Amanda had to leave Iuka, come pick me up, get me over there. My car had locked up. I got through preaching. I preached bewildered, and God touched in spite of me that night. I went right over there on that side, and it was as though God said to my heart, you've been telling everybody else to trust me. Why don't you trust me? I'm going to tell you the next, or no, that night, I got a message from a lady. If I called her name, every one of you knows her. She said, have you done anything about that ride yet? And I said, no, can't. Just praying about it. She said, don't you do anything till you hear from us. Every time I've turned around, look, I'm not a health and wealth prosperity preacher. You know me better than that. But I do want to say this. God has sustained and met every need in my life over these years. Matter of fact, if I die today and y'all have my funeral, I'd put it about Tuesday, wouldn't it? I'm like Ron Martin. Shout it out. Cry a little bit for manners and then shout it out. God's been good to me. I have no complaints. Let's stand. i got to stop. Let's stand. Miss Angie comes to the piano.